Let's consider academia and entrepreneurial journey. Resilience, adaptability and strong culture are integral, wouldn't you agree, Robert? Absolutely, Claudia. No matter the field, be it academic or business, these attributes are key to success. Early-stage startups particularly face a set of unique hurdles. Interesting you should say that because I've always noted remarkable parallels between academia and entrepreneurship. Both journeys are filled with moments of self-doubt, setbacks and resilience. But ultimately, what determines our success is creating an environment that fosters innovation and promotes adaptabilities. Don't you think? Yeah, I see where you're coming from. The entrepreneurial field is littered with stories of ventures rising through the ashes, fueled by determination, innovation and the ability to bounce back. An environment of collaboration and shared responsibility can impact decisions that drive growth and innovation. That's where a strong company culture plays its part. Couldn't have put it any better. Each employee at a startup plays a role in creating the fabric for a strong organisational culture that influences big decisions. And such a culture, I find, makes for better navigation through uncertainties and dilemmas, which any early-stage startup is bound to face. Prioritising and addressing these dilemmas then becomes even more critical for the survival and success of these startups, doesn't it? Stepping onto the unpredictable terrain of entrepreneurship can be a minefield, Robert. For sustainable growth, it's crucial to navigate uncertainties. Do you agree? Absolutely, Claudia. And that's where the timing of the product launch comes in. It can either make or break early-stage startups. One crucial factor is to understand when the market is ripe and when the product is ready. Surely the push-pull factor of rushing to launch a startup against waiting for the perfect product would be tough to manoeuvre. Indeed, it's a Byzantine dilemma. Add to this, the task of hiring skilled professionals who share your vision when there's often a lack of adequate resources. Building a talented, committed team early on pays off in the long run. That echoes my thoughts on academia. Our success often hangs upon assembling a strong team of dedicated researchers. Interesting parallel. Another common hurdle is the endless quest for the perfect product market fit. This can be a complex task and often involves a series of iterative improvements. Navigating iterations while under constraints must be daunting. Do you think founders should dwell in product development or push it out and collect feedback? An excellent question. It's really not an either-or situation. Founders must strike a balance between the two, because what matters most is meeting customer needs, which can only be understood with real user feedback. Like in academia, data drives our decision-making. Feedback from customers mirrors that. Correct. Cash flow management is another pressing concern. With limited funds, prioritising where and how to spend is paramount to prevent premature startup burnout. Considering all these hurdles, the tricky part would be the ability to prioritise. Solving everything at once isn't feasible, just like we don't attempt to write a full research paper in a day. Exactly. The complexities only make it significant for entrepreneurs to strategise and prioritise well. It's about being in the game, not winning the first set. Robert, market familiarisation is a labyrinth in academia too. Isn't it the same while launching a startup? You're right, Claudia. Understanding the marketplace is a crucial early step. As entrepreneurs, we need to identify the target audience and their needs, envision a product or service that meets those needs, and then position our offering effectively within that marketplace. It's clear that academic research would help here. And Robert, since every new venture at inception carries a certain degree of risk... 
How do entrepreneurs manage this? Startups are high-risk entities, Claudia. The possible loss of investment, insolubility or even bankruptcy hover in the backdrop. But risk can also be a sign of opportunity. It sparks creativity and the development of innovative ideas. Part of managing this risk is strategic planning, coupled with a dash of inherent belief in the vision and the willingness to adapt, pivot, or even let go if necessary. Process plays a significant part here as well. Analyzing and evaluating each step helps to minimize the unnecessary risks. From my own experience, I can say that maintaining a healthy work-life balance can be an antidote to these stresses. However, there appears to be a fragile balance in the startup ecosystem. How do entrepreneurs manage their stress? Entrepreneurs often juggle various roles, Claudia. It's not just about running their business, but managing teams, setting goals, and consistently meeting client expectations. All while maintaining personal health and relationships. It's a high-stress environment for sure. Stress management techniques vary from physical workouts, meditative practices, to simply stepping out for a breath of fresh air. The key is always to remember that it's a marathon, not a sprint. One needs to pace oneself and take necessary breaks. In my academic journey, I've learned that failure can be the best educator. That fail fast, fail often philosophy. How crucial is it in the startup canvas? It's very interesting you mentioned that, Claudia. Fail fast, fail often is indeed a common strategy in the entrepreneurial world. It simply means that rapid prototyping, testing, learning from failures, and quickly iterating towards better solutions is the path many startups choose. But it doesn't mean to recklessly encourage failures. It's about learning quickly and adapting. Having ventured this far in our discussion, Robert, I'm curious about an entrepreneurial dilemma that bears resemblance to the so-called publish-or-perish hook in academia, the balancing act between gaining profitability and growing user base. How does a fledgling enterprise navigate this? That's a hard-hitting question, Claudia. Striking a balance between profitability and user base growth is indeed a common predicament. Startups often have to make complex decisions between prioritising their sales profitability or broadening their user base for future potential. The crux of the matter is deciding the long-term vision of the business, maintaining short-term financial stability, and aligning those to their funding capabilities. Could you walk us further along this line of thought, Robert? It seems a pressing issue worth exploring. Definitely. Now, if a startup aims to quickly grow its user base, they may have to endure initial losses. The assumption is that the larger the user base, the greater will be the future returns once the users are monetized. On the other hand, focusing on profitability may slow down expansion, but ensures a financially stable journey. This choice often varies depending on the business model, industry norms and investor preferences. Startups need to strive for a healthy balance, a balance that conforms to their reality and vision. Sounds like a true conundrum, Robert. Now let's pivot to the role of marketing in early stages. How vital is it? Early marketing is an absolute game-changer, Claudia. It often provides the first point of contact between the startup and its potential user base. A smart marketing approach can accelerate user base growth, product validation, brand building, and even attract potential investors. But a marketing plan should be set with meticulous consideration of budget constraints and target demographics. This prompts me to ask about the omnipresent fear of failure in such high-stakes scenarios. How is it managed? Great point, Claudia. Fear of failure is quite palpable in the startup ecosystem. Entrepreneurs manage it by embracing it as a learning opportunity. 
Constant cycles of trial error and pivot help in building resilience and adaptability. Failure in the startup world is not necessarily a finale, but often a stepping stone to a better, more refined next endeavor. Remember the adage, fail fast, fail often. It encapsulates this very spirit. Speaking of resilience, one can't overlook Airbnb's journey. The founders, after facing repeated doors slam shuts, finally transformed their failing startup into today's hospitality giant. Can you sense the parallel, Claudia? The relentless pursuit of publication in the academia and the resilience of these startup founders. Indeed, Robert. But reflection on failure becomes essential here. So Airbnb, a remarkable tale in the startup world, was actually born out of desperation. Founders Hunt and Gebbia were tight on rent and decided to open up their apartment for people coming for a conference. The instance highlighted an untapped market and cranked their idea engine. Yes, quite serendipitous yet. An effective entrepreneurial solution. Planning and implementing your venture in a tight niche might often conjure surprises. Just as academic research requires a unique thesis, finding your own, less trodden path makes the startup journey freeing. I believe Odeo rings a bell in this context. Ha Odeo, a perfect failure turned success story. Odeo, a podcasting platform could not sustain, and the founders did the unthinkable. They gave the investors their money back. Now that's a move, but the pivot that followed was what we now know as Twitter. This I'd call a masterstroke of adaptivity while facing failure, an endeavour akin to me revamping my thesis over baffling academic reviews. That's a crucial takeaway, Claudia. Facing failure and using it constructively. Leaving Odeo, once a bleeding-edge product, and pivoting to Twitter was a massive risk. But founders' relentless toil turned it into a success, a testament to adaptivity and resilience. Speaking of resilience, how can we forget Uber? Uber, a grounding example of resilience. Dealing not just with a competitive market but lawsuit threats right from the get-go, it's almost similar to trying to establish a new paradigm in the academia amidst resistance. From transforming city transport norms to surviving major PR disasters, Uber has fought it all, turning failures into stepping stones. And look where it stands today. Right. Uber not only changed the transport norms but started the gig economy trend. It remains as an example of how one can cultivate resilience and adaptivity amid adversities. So, startup aspirants, don't be daunted by early failures. The landscape of early-stage startups is littered with tales of transformation, isn't it, Robert? Consider SpaceX. Initially, they had unprecedented regulatory hurdles and intense scepticism. True, Claudia. Elon Musk's SpaceX confronted legal challenges for launching rockets. A similar dilemma many startups face navigating regulatory constraints. But SpaceX demonstrated how to turn things around. They established an industry where none existed before. Much like convincing traditionalist scholars about a revolutionary literary theory. So resilience, adaptivity, and a little bit of loophole hunting, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Deft navigation became their key to success. Now let's bring Dropbox into the mix. They struggled with believability and gaining users' trust. These are universal dilemmas startups grapple with, aren't they? Undeniably. Just as one would hesitate in trusting a new scholar in the highly critical literary sphere. Dropbox had to fight similar doubts and secure user trust in quite a saturated market, correct? Correct, Claudia. While Dropbox launched amidst numerous cloud storage solutions, 
they steadily gained user trust with their selective synchronizing feature and grew rapidly. It was a pithy strategy carving out their own niche. Their strategy seems to be a product of insightful deliberation, which is a trait every entrepreneur must cultivate. Could we bring Slack into our dialogue? Slack, another fascinating tale. Initially a gaming company called Tiny Spec, they pivoted to become one of the leading corporate communication tools. My takeaway from here, spotting a newfound demand and capitalising on it, which is exactly what Slack did. Robert, I sometimes think about Instagram's rise to the top. Amid a number of photo-sharing apps, what was their distinction? Claudia, Instagram's uniqueness lay in their understanding of users' culture and their simplification of the photo-sharing process. Their intricate balance of delicacy and simplicity proved crucial while dealing with a user base more accustomed to desktop interfaces. Sounds similar to certain academic theories, where simplification and relevancy can prove instrumental. Now what about Netflix? How did they manage to pivot so greatly, from a DVD rental service to a streaming giant? In Netflix's case, the ability to anticipate the next technological wave and act accordingly was crucial. They identified the future trend of online streaming before it was evident, enabling a seamless transition, unlike most of their competition. Strategic anticipation and adaptivity were their winning cards. Quite the visionary approach, similar to predicting or creating a literary trend in the world of academia. Lastly, I am intrigued to know how Zappos revolutionised customer service. Zappos emphasised heavily on prioritising customer satisfaction, going as far as to make customer service the entire company's job, rather than just one department. They cultivated a company culture where everyone was invested in ensuring a great customer experience. Entrepreneurs often overlook the importance of clear mission statements, don't they? Yes, and what's equally concerning is that they often underestimate how much a competent team can contribute to a startup's success. Absolutely. Having a key strategy for talent acquisition and retention can greatly be influenced by the company's culture. It's like a domino effect, where each piece largely dictates the next one's direction. Could not agree more, Claudia. Adding to that, the structure of a startup can greatly dictate its culture. For example, there's an ongoing debate comparing flat and hierarchical management structures in startups. Having a flat structure can enable a more democratic approach, allowing everyone's voices to be heard. But at the same time, it might lead to slower decision-making, as there are often too many cooks in the kitchen. Contrastingly, a hierarchical structure can lead to faster decision-making, but it might also concentrate a lot of power at the top. This might stifle bottom-up innovation and the free-flowing exchange of ideas. So, Robert, in your opinion, which structure do you believe is more beneficial for a startup? Claudia, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all approach here. Every structure has its pros and cons, and they need to be evaluated in the context of the startup's nature, stage and goals. That's a fair point, Robert. Entrepreneurs should therefore be quite strategic in analysing and choosing the most suitable management structure for their venture, keeping in mind the dynamic nature of the startup ecosystem. Let's consider the impact of diversity on decision-making. With a diverse team, there's generally a larger pool of ideas. This can lead to more innovative solutions, but it could also result in disagreement and slower decision-making. What are your thoughts on this, Claudia? Well, as an academic... I can't emphasise enough the importance of diversity in broadening perspectives, which can greatly enhance creativity and problem-solving. 
As for the potential challenges, I suppose it's about creating a conducive environment that encourages respectful exchange of ideas and healthy disagreement. Fair enough. That brings to another intriguing aspect of startup culture today, which is the growing importance of social responsibility. Yes, more and more startups seem to be mindful of their social footprint and are taking initiatives that reflect their commitment towards societal good. It's a facilitative step, not just for their brand image, but also for fostering culture. And how about the constant debate of customer satisfaction versus employee welfare? Especially in the early stage, startups have limited resources and navigating this balance can be tricky. Well, Robert, it's not an easy question to answer. It will vary greatly based on the organisational structure and business model of the startup. But as a heuristic, I suggest starting with a healthy internal environment. Your employees are your first customers, after all. That indeed sounds like a prudent approach. However, when a crisis hits, managing both facets could become overwhelming. Transparency could play a key role here. That's a brilliant point, Robert. Transparency could not just help manage crisis better but also fosters trust among your team and customers alike. In my academic life, I've seen a clear parallel with startups. Just as we foster a supportive environment in academia, startups must cultivate a diverse and inclusive culture. But how does one really do that, Robert? Well, Claudia, one approach is to actively seek for diversity when building the team. This not only refers to demographics, but also to thoughts and experiences. Also, encouraging open conversations, offering equal opportunities and zero tolerance for bias or discrimination can go a long way. It's almost like creating a safe space like we do in our classrooms. But how about power delegation in a startup setting? How would a young company decide on the amount of authority to be spread out? That is a tricky one. Too much delegation can lead to disarray, while too little can result in a bottleneck. Startups must strike a balance. One way is to assign responsibilities based on employees' capabilities and potential rather than hierarchical positions. Interesting, and it must also depend on individual startups' culture and needs, isn't it? So, Robert, do we have any real-life examples where a great culture helped overcome a crisis? Absolutely, and a prime example would be how Airbnb tackled the host protection crisis. By fostering an open and transparent culture, the founders could gather ideas and immense support from their employees transforming a critical point into a profound success story. It's like fostering resilience through culture in a dynamic global landscape. Could you share some strategies that startups can follow to cultivate an open and communicative culture, Robert? Certainly, Claudia. Orchestrating regular town hall meetings, ensuring clarity in communication, and seeking regular feedback are some steps. Also promoting internal socialising and team-building initiatives can aid in creating an environment of trust and openness. The struggles we go through shape us, don't they? In the academic world, it's often said failure leads to better success. This is valid for startups too. Entrepreneurs go through trial and error phases, but what keeps them going is a resilient mindset. Absolutely, Claudia. That resilience needs cultivation. It's about having elasticity, being able to bounce back even when you've been stretched beyond your limits. It's about mindset transformation, using failures as stepping stones rather than stumbling blocks. I can't help but think, how do startups foster resilience within their teams? Considering their high-stress environments and constant requirements to adapt, isn't it easier said than done? Claudia, it is challenging, no doubt. 
but having a resilient mindset is about acknowledging and using the feeling of discomfort to fuel growth. Encouraging teams to be adaptable and embrace change helps. So does setting a clear company vision to give everyone something to rally around. A resilient startup inevitably has stories of setbacks and comebacks. Take Airbnb, for example. Its globally renowned reputation didn't just happen overnight. They faced fierce challenges, on one hand, with city regulations, and on the other, guaranteeing host protection. However, their resilience during their lowest point eventually paved way for their epic rise. Airbnb's story can be quite inspiring indeed. These compelling stories have the potential to help budding entrepreneurs view failures in a different light, use disappointments to their advantage rather than let it demoralise them. They say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. This somehow feels applicable in the entrepreneurial world. It's not just about being stronger, Claudia, but also being wiser. Every failure is an opportunity to learn, adapt, and avoid making the same mistake again. That's where the real power of resilience lies. Speaking of resilience, Claudia, management literature highlights quite a few characteristics a resilient leader should possess. The first is self-awareness. They are cognizant of their emotional well-being and the well-being of others. They have a clear head to make informed decisions when things go south. Hmm, that makes sense. Besides self-awareness, what else? Furthermore, resilient leaders are tenacious. They don't succumb to adversities easily. They recognise that any significant accomplishment requires persistent effort and hard work. Fascinating. I assume maintaining mental and physical well-being would also be critical, especially considering the high-stress environment startups operate in. Absolutely, Claudia. Health considerations are crucial. A burnout leader cannot lead a team successfully, ensuring employees are not overworked and encouraging activities that foster mental well-being can help maintain a stable, productive team. I suppose mentorship plays an important yet often overlooked role in maintaining a resilient mindset in founders. Couldn't agree more, Claudia. Mentors provide crucial guidance, especially in tackling new challenges. They can share insights and personal experiences that aid founders in developing strategies and overcoming hurdles. Plus, they lend a supportive, empathetic ear during tough times. Robert, I find the entrepreneurial journey akin to a research thesis. In both scenarios, we're navigating uncertainty, constantly learning and adapting. True, Claudia. That encapsulates the role of an entrepreneur perfectly. It's a challenging role, encompassing calculated risk-taking and continuous learning all in one. A strong ability to adapt is crucial, especially in a saturated marketplace. On the note of adaptability... Does the concept of calculated risk-taking come into play for early-stage startups? Absolutely, Claudia. It's a pivotal part of the survival strategy for many startups. Without risk, there's no reward. However, the calculated part of risk-taking is vital. Startups must assess their potential losses and develop fallback strategies should their risk not pay off. I see a parallel here to academia, assessing the risk of whether a particular research will yield significant results or not. Indeed, it all boils down to the ability to make wise decisions in a complex, uncertain landscape, Claudia. Robert, taking into consideration what you said, what would be a practical strategy for startups to refine their product or service further? They must cultivate a culture of listening. And by that, I mean establishing a strong customer feedback loop. By opening this channel of communication, startups can catch rising issues early and adapt swiftly, ensuring a refined, high-quality product or service. 
It's quite like iterative writing process in literature, where feedback significantly refines the final output. Keeping this in mind, let's remember, for any startup, resilience, adaptability, calculated risk-taking are keys to survival. Claudia, I perceive technology taking centre stage in the entrepreneurial journey. From my perspective, it's an integral part of startup success. Do you agree? Robert, technology definitely plays a significant role. I see it altering the narrative in academia as well. It accelerates the learning curve and research process, similar to how it might boost a startup's growth. Absolutely, Claudia. Startups can capitalise on the digital world to automate processes, streamline workflows, reach larger audiences, even operate on a minimal personnel structure. And while we're on technology, let's not forget the networking opportunities provided by social media platforms. A godsend for making connections, wouldn't you agree? Social media platforms indeed have shifted the networking paradigms, Robert. They've made connection building accessible, and potential partners can communicate conveniently. Indeed. And this conveniently leads us to another pivotal element in the startup ecosystem, funding pitches. It can make or break a startup. What are your thoughts on this, Claudia? From an outsider's perspective, the act of funding pitches, to me, feels like defending a dissertation. A rigorous process where your ideas are scrutinised under a lens. Robert, can you elucidate how startups can prepare for such intense scrutiny? Excellent analogy, Claudia. In essence, it is semblable to defending a thesis. Your idea, your vision is on trial. To prepare, startups need to be thorough with their business plan, financially and operationally. They need to convince the investors how they will generate revenue, scale the business and how much time they need to become profitable. That seems stressful yet necessary. Startups could essentially stumble on many common missteps during this phase. Exploring that might reveal potential traps. Right, Robert? You're right, Claudia. The common missteps, from inadequate market research, underestimating competitors, improper financial planning to rushing product launch, can derail a startup. Lastly, we cannot ignore the importance of sustainable business models. The journey is not just about standing out or surviving, it's also about thriving in the long run. Robert, we've explored so much today, but let's not forget establishing a strong online presence. How can startups do that on a restricted budget? Great question, Claudia. It's about maximising what's available out there for free and optimising their presence on those platforms. Social media... Newsletters powered by email marketing tools, blog posts to drive SEO, inviting guest bloggers or influencers with bigger reach on their platforms. These initiatives don't require a hefty budget, but they need creativity and consistency. So creativity and the ability to provide engaging content on a consistent basis act as the driving forces. What about the positioning against market competition, Robert? This is where a startup's unique selling proposition, USP, comes into play. Startups need to highlight what sets them apart from the competition, what they do better or differently. It's also crucial to keep an eye on the competitive landscape to stay ahead. This includes monitoring market trends, customer feedback and competitors' strategies. Analytics tools can be precious here. So in principle, startups need to consistently monitor their competitive surroundings while maintaining their uniqueness. Earlier, we spoke about pitching. What tips can our listeners especially the startups, take from this discussion. Tip number one. Your pitch should tell a story. 
it has to capture the investor's attention and make them believe in your vision. Second, it should be clear, concise, and comprehensive. It should cover all aspects of the business, but not be too long or convoluted. Third, always showcase your USP and how you plan to leverage it. Finally, prepare for pushback. Questions, objections, skepticism are all part of the process. Be ready to address these convincingly. Our discussion today re-emphasizes the need for resilience, adaptability, and active problem-solving. Being proactive in understanding and addressing dilemmas seems to pay dividends to startups. Absolutely, Claudia. These tools, resilience, adaptability, and problem-solving are not just for startups, but they are the bedrock for entrepreneurs. With these, they can navigate through the complexities, uncertainties, and setbacks that are part and parcel of the entrepreneurial journey.